We all have a story to tell. The longer our lives, the richer our stories. When I look at you, I see a woman of strength, integrity, character. A woman who has seen hardships, struggles, pain, and loss. A woman who has compassion, love, courage, and power. A woman who has succeeded, failed, and learned. A woman who will continue to persevere and thrive. When I look at you, I see a woman who is wise, not withered. Welcome to the Wise Not Withered podcast. I'm your host, Juliana. I am primarily a musician. I compose, play piano, and sing and dance with children for a living, but I've always had a passion for writing and for video games. The storytelling potential in games these days is essentially limitless, and so are the ages of the protagonists. You can read more about the Wise Not Withered global collaborative project, Phase 2, on my website, wisenotwithered.com. The goal of Why Is Not Withered as a whole, in all of its phases, is to expand representation of middle-aged and elderly women in a society that currently values feminine youth over wisdom. Here in Phase 1, the podcast, Season 1, you'll hear inspiring life stories of various wise women that I personally know. We talk about upbringing, careers, romantic relationships, challenges, successes, and lessons learned. After each interview, I'll take a bit of time to reflect on what I learned from each woman and how her story relates to my own life. This week, I am sharing my two-part interview with Scarlett Maeve. I met Scarlett at a women's retreat almost two years ago. She and next week's guest were two of the activity leaders at the retreat, and they led extremely powerful and healing rituals with our small group. I was thrilled when Scarlett agreed to be interviewed, and I hope you feel inspired by her story. If you've listened to other episodes in my podcast, you're already aware that we do go pretty deep and raw while discussing the struggles and triumphs and the stories of these wise, brave women. Scarlett's story, while not disclosing particular details of events, does include retelling of domestic violence and sexual assault. She also goes into how she worked through and healed her trauma, and overall I believe her story is inspiring above anything else. So how old are you? I am 49. Yeah. So talk about the job that you have now. Just anything around your current work. Okay. I'm not employed in the traditional sense. I'm an entrepreneur. Right. Um, and that's very recent. Well, it's recent and it's not. I've been on the entrepreneurial path for several years. Um, really for about 20 years. Um, I really have only done successful entre- successful entrepreneuring. <laughs> um, I had about a four year span where I wasn't I didn't have any other job except for um, the business that I had at the time. Uh, I sold that business when my husband and I moved to Oregon about two years ago, and wanted to do um, my my deep spiritual soul work with people uh, full time and all of that was you know planned out and going to be great and then uh, three weeks after we moved to Oregon my husband got told he was being laid off and wound, he wound up um, uh, 
unemployed for nine months and mm. I wound up getting another day job again because I was transitioning between two businesses, mm. planning on building my business while we lived off his income, which would have been fine had he kept his job. <laughs> so I worked at, for a company called Mountain Rose Herbs for a little over a year, which I love. They're um, an amazing company. They sell organic herbs, teas, spices, um, hydrosols, essential oils, all kinds of cool stuff. So it was a really good, really good learning opportunity for me to dig even deeper into the magic plants. Mm-hmm. So did that um, literally just in a whirlwind in the past um, couple of months. We moved to a different city and I decided to just step full on back into being an entrepreneur and working for myself again. Okay. So I've been just completely dedicated and committed to building my clients and uh, working with people to really um, everything that I do, that I do, all of the branches and all the, the different areas of my work are leading to people really getting connected with the truth of who they are with their magnificent, incredible selves and their beautiful souls. So, yeah. And how did you, how did you get into that? Um, well, it's something that I, so I've been, I've had since I was a little, little girl, the, what I call this penetrating vision, this uh, ability to see what's really going on underneath. And, um, I've rarely had patience for the fluffy stuff. I, when I have conversations with people, I want to get to what's real pretty quickly. Like right. small talk makes me nuts. Um, <laughs> and I can do it, but I, but it exhausts me. I really want to get to what's real in a person. And so it's something that I, you know, I've done since I was really a little kid, but when I, when I stepped onto the shamanic path, um, there's a process in shamanism called soul retrieval and the premise behind soul retrieval is that at different places in different people's lives they have parts of themselves which um in order to protect the gifts that these parts hold they will separate off and it can be from trauma in in the traditional sense you know child abuse a car accident um, emotional trauma, job loss, things like that. But it can also be being placed in a situation in which you are really not fully allowed to be who you are. Hmm. Um, with my clients, I find a lot of soul loss occurs around the age of five when oh. people start kindergarten because oh. they're suddenly pushed into these very strong boxes of, of being told who they are and who they aren't and what, what they, who they naturally are and how that's not okay with the rest of the world. Wow, so, yeah. um, what I began seeing and doing the work of soul retrieval was just having the, the honor and the privilege again and again and again and again of witnessing the beauty of people's souls of, as, as I was doing this work for them, being able to see them through the eyes of their helping allies of their guides and beginning to shape all of this stuff I had been seeing all my life into like words into having it come into context and so as I as I walked the path and as I did more of this work uh, more of the shamanic work I was realizing that 
I can do, I can do lots of different kinds of shamanic healing. Um, I can help people remove misplaced energy that's, that's attached to them. That's not theirs. I can do house clearings. I can do lots of different things, but I found that what, what I loved the most and what was changing people's lives the most was being this witness for just how incredible people are. And I began to discover that I have this capacity to hold space for them in what they think is wonderful and what they're ashamed of and what they think is terrible and helping people to come to the truth of that. So the things, oftentimes the things that people despise the most about themselves are the things that we wind up finding the strength and the potency and the healing in. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, <laughs> just little stuff, you know? <laughs> just no biggie. Yeah, wow. Oh, my gosh. And you have a really fascinating story with um, your connection to animals. Can you go into that? Oh, yeah. So I just, I, I just love this so much. <laughs> um, so I was for. 30 years, I was part of a, um, a Christian religion that is very um, rigid. Um, you know, there are different Christian sects out there which are a lot more, which have a lot more openness to them as far as um, less rules and regulations and less cans and shoulds. And the, the religion I was part of was very rigid. Hmm. And as my truth began to expand, I began getting less and less comfortable. And as you know, I, I began to find a different, a different truth for myself, but I was still in a lot of fear. You know, this has been a part of my life for a long time. And I was, I wasn't quite ready to really go full bore and step out of it. And, and, uh, just because of, you know, I, I was very connected to this shamanic aspect when I was a young kid and for various reasons as life carried me, you know, forward, I, it was, it was really too painful to reconnect to it because there was so much there that I didn't know how to access and yada, yada. So I kind of like withdrew from it, but the helping allies had a whole different idea for me. So, um, (laughs) I, I had, I had a a period where my oracular gift opened up and what that, just what that means is that I, my being able to come back to a full awareness of this in a really different way of being able to kind of see what's under the surface. And I was very resistant to it because in the religion I was part of, it would have been looked on as like kind of being heresy or possibly very sinful. And so I was, I kind of had this upset a little bit about it. And so I kind of, you know, set it aside, tried to set it aside. And one day I'm in my living room in the middle of suburbia. I mean, you could not be more in suburbia than I was in suburbia. And I'm standing in my living room and I see this thing, this big thing coming up the street and I couldn't quite tell what it was. And as it got closer, it stood in front of my driveway and it was a wild Tom Turkey. And this Turkey walked up my driveway, up my sidewalk, walked up my three steps and stood at my front door. And I was afraid to open my door. (laughs) I was afraid it was going to come in, and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it um, if it decided to walk in my house. So so that was part of the the beginning of it. And I was like, that was weird. Okay. 
oh, I'm just going to try and go back to life and be normal now. And they were having none of it. Um, we had the two tallest trees on our street, and we had two magpie nests in those trees. And magpies are extremely intelligent birds. They're in the same family as ravens and crows, but they are very territorial, and they can be very mean, especially if they have um, fledglings. They have been known to kill uh, dogs and cats that are, like, in the same area when they have fledglings, so they're very territorial. Hence, they were the only trees, or they are not the only trees, the only birds we had in our yard. And after Mr. Turkey shows up and I try to go back to life as normal, um, I started walking out in my backyard, and I would have robins come and land at my feet defying the magpies while the magpies were squawking and threatening these robins landing at my feet um and then i would wind up with birds lining up along the front windowsill and when i could walk in the room and i was again like that's weird okay i don't know what that means gonna try to go back to normal life now um didn't work so after that, the animal experiences just ratcheted up. Um, and like, I, it would take me hours to tell you how many there were. But yeah. coming across uh, a bull snake that had literally just digested a meal laying across the sidewalk as I'm going for a neighborhood walk, um, a white domestic rabbit in my flower garden that's just hanging out there, um, a hummingbird that, that hovered about a foot from my face and stayed there for about 10 minutes. Um, Deer that would look me directly in the eye, not just looking at me, but like looking and connecting soul to soul. Hmm. All of them had, were, were saying, come on, it's time. Come back, come back. (laughs) And then I regularly um, have experiences with animals when you're, when you are willing to listen, when they show up and you're willing to go, Oh, I understand. You are spirit in physical form and you've got you've got some assistance. You've got a message for me. When you're willing to begin to listen, they show up a whole lot more. So I very regularly have encounters with them and um they're they don't need to be quite so dramatic anymore <laughs> because, you know, I'm listening now. Yeah. But um and I'm not trying to pretend that life is quote unquote normal, but right. um but yeah, it's it's pretty much part of of regular daily life for me. Okay. And I and I help other people get their um, have their understanding when they show up for them. Okay, that that's so fascinating. <laughs> um, let's see. So, um, how about name two or three mentors that you've had over your lifetime, um, excluding parents or their family members? Like, how did you meet these people, and what did you learn from each person? Um, like, I guess, especially in, in this kind of work, like when you started to really follow that path, like, were there any really key people that helped you kind of find your way? Yeah. Um, so going back just a little bit, one of the most influential people in my life was a boss that I had when I, uh, was about 17. Um, she managed the clothing store that I worked at and she was hugely influential. Uh, influential and just showing me another possibility for life. Um, you know, my mother had my mother had had a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of stress in her life. 
I was the youngest of six kids, which, you know, six kids in and of its own is just a lot to manage. But then my, her, my parents divorced when I was 12 and she was a single mom and life had been really hard and she was very jaded. And, um, this particular boss actually kind of opened my eyes to some things that were some different possibilities of life being more joyful of life as a potential lived in, in a very different way. And she, you know, there, there were a lot of, a lot of times in my adult life when I've gone back to think about her and the things that she taught me in the short time that we were together. As far as with, um, with the the soul witnessing work that I do, it's it's a lot more than just shamanic. And so um, there is a there was a mentor that I have that's still part of my life who I mentored with her for three years. She was a student of the Hendrix body of work. Um, Gay Hendrix wrote The Big Leap, which is what most people are familiar with. But he and his wife have a foundation, and they're very. Um, it's it's all about learning to become friendly with your emotions, um, learning how to not go into spiritual override when you feel something, learning how to connect back into the truth and the wisdom in your body. Uh, they do they do a lot of work around feedback and understanding that, you know, if someone's saying something that you are something or that this is something, how to take that how to have it be neutral, how to figure out what's true in it, and how to really, really, truly let the rest of it go instead of, you know, letting it boil inside you and mm. become bitterness and all of that mm. stuff. So, and Megan was also another woman who really showed me how to connect to my playful side, to connect to the part of myself that has so much joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an extraordinarily difficult childhood and a lot of that part of myself, which is naturally who I am, had been stuffed down. Mm-hmm. So Megan also really helped me open back up to and feel safe again with like being able to play and laugh and be silly and find joy. Um, mm-hmm. So those two women have been very influential. I've had different mentors from in a, from a shamanic perspective. Uh, a woman actually that I met at a business mastermind that had, you know, no idea what this path was or what is what what it was about when all the animal experiences started happening and getting kind of crazy and intense um she was the one that I reached out to and said I I think maybe I'm supposed to look at this shamanic thing but I don't know (laughs) and um she you know answered a lot of questions she taught she was my teacher for a while um and she's been a really strong influence in my life as um being being a very a powerful shamanic woman. Awesome. Great. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about some romantic relationships you've had throughout your life? Like what kinds of people have you loved and what did you learn from each person? I, I have been, I have not lived a very, um, varied <laughs> romantic life. That's okay. Being part of the religion that I was part of, mm. um, you know, they're very, there's a lot of strictness. You don't mm. date until you're 16 um, and you don't have sex before you get married. And mm. so it's very kind of, there's not, a, there's just getting married young is a, is a very common thing. So my, the first time I got married, I got married at 18. I was pregnant at 19 and oh. I was mom at 20. Okay. Wow. So very young. And mm. my first husband, um, 
was a so because of who my dad was I knew a, a lot of women marry their fathers I did not marry my father I knew mm. I had to have somebody who was a very gentle soul so my first husband was a very gentle soul very very artistic and through his experience and he with he and his family they gave me a different glimpse into what quote unquote normal family looks like and I you know no family is normal but my parents were way the hell away from normal so um you know his parents married and and were married until um you know they never divorced they they had their rough patches but they they had that um you know something that I hadn't witnessed um his siblings were very very close so I got some experience on what it's like to have a family that's actually connected mm -hmm. in my family of origin it was kind of every man for himself we all just did what we had to do to survive to get mm -hmm. out of that out of the household alive and so oh. we we became kind of independent and not very connected to each mm -hmm. other um he also taught me um, some not too great things either. Um, <laughs> he, he was very, um, I was never enough, never, ever, ever enough. I would clean the house all day and he would come home and say, you left the cleaner on the counter or you forgot the blinds or I see a spot you missed. Oh like gosh. that was him. And, you know, to his credit, he was, bi he is bisexual and he was, he had been yearning for several years to go, um, to be in a, in a gay relationship. And so mm. I couldn't be enough for him, you know, it was yeah. all being projected onto all the little things that I did instead mm. of, instead of like, you can't be enough for me cause you're not a guy. So, yeah. um, I also got to learn and witness what it's like to see a gentle father hmm. because of the way that he was with my kids. Um, so, you know, some of the things that weren't, that were unhelpful. I had a lot of, when, when he and I divorced, I had a lot of self doubt, a lot of trying to be a people pleaser and bend myself into a pretzel for other people. Um, and why it, so I marvel at this all the time because I, I tell people that we manifest, we manifest who we are, not what we want. And at the time that I met Dan, my current husband, I felt like I was so broken. And I don't say that in the like, oh, it's so broken, it's pathetic. But really, I was pretty messed up <laughs> as far as, you know, I had been, I had been, I'd been in a marriage for 10 years where I was left and I was heartbroken and I, my self-esteem was shattered and, um, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty messed up, but for whatever reason, um, there was something in me that manifested Dan because he is just, he's such a gift. Um, he was so the opposite of my first husband. Um, I, I was just telling somebody yesterday, like he you can you can tell when you walk into our bedroom which side of the room is his and which is mine because my nightstand has stuff like piled all over the place and it's all kind of jumbled and his like literally everything is at right angles <laughs> his nightstand and people are like oh that's Dan's side of the bed um and yet and sense of order is very important to him he's the guy who can look at a wall and go that's the center it needs to go like the nail needs to go right here like without even paint, holding the picture up he has this incredible sense of order huh, and that was not me <laughs> um 
partly due to rebellion, partly just because I'm such a flow within structure person. I'm, I lean more towards the messy. I'm not filthy. I don't leave like dishes getting moldy and stuff like that, but (laughs) I have stuff and I have piles and, and, uh, I remember really well in the first few months that we were married, just find, you know, starting to get things in piles and feeling stressed out about it. And he just stopped me. I was like, wait, as long as I have a space where I can fully be me, I'm okay with you fully being you. You don't have to change this part of you because it's wrong or because I want to feel more comfortable. I'll have my man cave. And as long as I have a space that I can just have things how I want it, you, there's nothing wrong with you and how you want it. And that it was the first time in my entire life anybody had actually verbally spoken that that was okay. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. <laughs> and that's how he's been. Like he, he's not a huge nature fan. He thinks it's pretty from the car. He's not like I am out and I'm touching the rocks and I'm hugging the trees and I'm, I'm in it. And he's just like, Oh, there's bugs and it's hot. That's <laughs> no, not him. And yet he is my, he's my biggest fan. He's a hundred thousand percent in support of everything that I want to do and be. And so, um, so I've learned, I've learned a lot about who I really am being married to him. I've learned about kindness. I have learned about, giving oftentimes with he and I the exact wound that's in me that needs to be healed is the exact thing that he's showing up as in that moment Hmm. so that I can I can feel the trigger I can feel you know this this wounded sense of myself that I was that I was less than that I wasn't good that there was something wrong with me because I was the way that I am you know, he showed up in certain ways that brought that to life so that I could, so that, so that I could look at that and heal that. And, um, I have learned to trust. Um, I have learned how to be more in my body. I've learned how to give other people huge and generous permission to be who they are by being married to him. Great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> you might kind of tell I don't I don't do like the light fluffy stuff. I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. This, this is great. I go, I go deep, so. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well, let's just keep going down this this deeper path. Um, what was the first experience with uh, grief, or what what did you learn um, about like life or death that you could teach others? So. That's an interesting question because I haven't had that experience. Oh, okay. Yet. Um, all of my grandparents were dead before I was born except for my grandmother. Mm. Um, one grandmother who died when I was three, and I was completely shielded from the experience. Mm. I watched my mother crying, and I knew my mother was upset, and I didn't, and something said something, somebody said something about grandma not being here anymore, but I, I didn't, they didn't take me to the funeral. Um, 
So it, it, in some ways it was kind of a, it was quite a disservice, um, because I never, I never had the experience of that. Mm. Um, the first funeral I ever remember going to, there was a woman at, uh, a, a couple at church whose daughter, three-year-old daughter died suddenly. Oh. Um, they had had someone come and spray for ants and somehow she got poisoned and um so that was the first time that I'd ever really like seen it up close and um my god it was wrenching um and so you know I've lost people to divorce or I've lost people through loss of friendships through Mm -hmm. you know stepping into me being more fully who I am and them not coming along kind of thing interesting yeah yeah from but actually what's brought me you know I was in a religion for a long time that that teaches that you will be with your family after you die if you are righteous enough and if you follow if you can do xyz you know perfectly then you will blah 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 and so it was kind of very this well you have this if you're in it kind of a thing yeah. and uh, stepping you know the, the shamanic view of death is so very different um it's it's very healing and what i have experienced and what I believe to, you know, the core of my being is that our spirits do live on, that there is, there is a space after this life and that we can connect with and uh, converse with those who have passed on. And it doesn't have to just be a medium who sits in a circle and, you know, tilts her head back and is like, oh, the person is saying, <laughs> big dramatic, like sit in a seance kind of a thing. Um, part of what I've discovered in the shamanic path is that I'm a death walker. And what that means is that I have the ability to go between the two places. Hmm. Um, again, I have, since I was a little girl, I had a very frightening experience when I was about four years old that I had no context for. Hmm. And had I had my mother been more shamanic um, or had I you know, grown up in an indigenous culture, I would have been taken away and be, I would have been trained as an acolyte and they would have understood that this was part of my gifts. But, you know my mom did the best that she knew how and with the culture she was in as well. And so it freaked her the hell out and she just tried to be like, it's okay. No, we won't talk about that anymore. And so, um, you know, and then I had another experience at nine that also freaked me the hell out. Um, so for me, death for a long time was terrifying. Hmm. And now it, I look at it very differently. Um, I have helped a lot of clients, uh, prepare for their own their own deathing process I've helped clients to reconnect to people who have passed I've helped clients to um, have a safe expression of their grief um, for those who have passed and um, it's it's a very sacred and beautiful thing that I feel you know I, I think my my biggest thing around death now is just worrying about people who I'll leave behind and um, this worrying about their sadness, but not my own um, experience with it. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, what what's one of the biggest challenges that you've overcome, either a specific situation or simply like over your lifetime? 
I've had I've had quite a few. I would say probably you know one of the biggest was my childhood. My dad was horrifically violent. Um, like you could have done a lifetime movie about my life as a kid. Um, if it had been this day and age, my dad would have been arrested and charged for severe child abuse. Um, my house, my house, I had an assignment once in um, high school somewhere where we were asked to um, talk about and describe our favorite place in our house growing up, the place that we felt the most safe and the most wonderful, and I couldn't do it because I didn't have one. Um, between my dad and my brother, who was just older than me, I had no, there was no, no safety for me growing up. And so for whatever reason, I was born as somebody who is a pattern disruptor and a pattern healer. So I told you I got married when I was 18. I got pregnant at 19 and I'm sitting there at 19 years old one day just having this awareness that if I cannot somehow figure out or understand how to be a different kind of parent, then I'm not going to be a parent. So I got myself booked into a therapy session and I walked into the therapist's office at 19 and she's like, well, so how can I help you? And I said, if you cannot teach me how not to do to this child, what was done to me, then I will give this child up for adoption because come hell or high water, this stops with me. And if I am not fit to be a parent, if I just, if I'm too damaged or broken or whatever to do it, I will not do it, but I will not pass this on to another generation. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I think of my own kids. I have three of them and I'm think of, I think of my youngest son and like, I was like, it's extraordinary for a 19 year old to do that. So I think the biggest really the biggest thing that I have overcome is, you know, I've gone through various healing routes. I started with traditional therapy. I've had two different therapists tell me that they're, they're astounded that I wasn't either, um, you know, in addiction recovery or that I hadn't had multiple suicide attempts mm -hmm. or that I have, that I wasn't a multiple personality because most people's psyches don't endure what mine did without one of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think, the fact that I'm joyful, the fact that I'm positive, um, the fact that I raised three children without ever spanking them once and that they're, they're productive, wonderful adults. Um, the fact that I still have hope. There are people who are raised the way that I am raised who just are completely hope hopeless and downtrodden their whole life. Mm. Um, the fact that I can be a functioning member of society um, and that, you know, all I, there were, like I said, there were six of us and each of us handled it in their own way. Um, most of my siblings have handled it by kind of trying to sweep it under the rug and pretending it didn't exist and then having the pain come out sideways in various different ways, whether it be illness or other you know, experiences in their life being just miserably unhappy. And I don't know why, except that it was, you know, from my perspective, it was part of my soul's blueprint to do this work. Um, but to be able to live life the way that I've lived life, um, despite that, 
I think is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you you talked about your children. Um, so what kinds of, um, what things do you feel you have been able to do because of your children? Um, <laughs> I have learned a lot of humility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just do when you have um, children. Um, I've been able to have to develop compassion even more deeply. Um, I've really been able to learn about fully allowing someone to be who they are, um, even when it's really uncomfortable to do so. My daughter is very much a do it her own way. She is the she is the kid who if you tell her to do something, she will dig her heels in. And I was the very um moldable child. I was the yes mother, I'll do whatever you want, mother. I was the kid who never broke curfew, who always got straight A's. That was not my daughter. So um she actually, you know, I learned a, a different perspective and a different way to be with people who um uh, my daughter has this wildness and this fierceness about her that was so uncomfortable for me. Um because I had spent so much of my life literally being as small and as, as invisible as I could. My daughter has this wild mane of hair and she wears bright red lipstick and um, and like her from the time she was very little, the way that she would dress was a statement and you know I was I was very for a long time, you know, thank God not anymore, but for a lot of years, I was as busy trying to blend into a white wall as much as I possibly could hmm. um, and just be the wallflower and blend in the background. So that's not who I am now, fortunately, but, you know, um, so like she gave me the opportunity to see life in that way. My son is, he's an activist. Um, he, when the whole Occupy movement was going on, we lived in Utah at the time and he was like, he was at the park in downtown Salt Lake, sleeping with like sleeping with the homeless and and you know the, all the Occupy people. He is he's the kid who was protesting at the zoo uh, for the treatment of animals. Like this is and you know very visible, very loudly proclaiming things for a cause again uh, in a different way, showing me what that can look like. Um, and my youngest, I would say with my youngest son, I have, he really brought me back to curiosity. Um, he has what I call a wonder genius. He is 24 and he still, every time we get on the phone, mom, I have a question for you. Why does blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, most kids kind of outgrow that. Why is the sky blue? Why is that, why is that tree have a leaf like that? My son did not outgrow that. And now, you know, he asks, obviously, different questions. Um, but I have had the opportunity to, through my youngest son to reconnect to wonder and reconnect to the power and the, and the possibility that lies in a state of wonder. Awesome. And, you know, there's tons of other things. Yeah. Patience and, <laughs> um, and deep, deep love and... Um, trust and safety and all of those things but um, yeah 
that's what comes to mind. <laughs> great, great. And so what would you consider your greatest success in life so far? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things, but in a lot of ways, I would say successfully raising three children, yeah. raising, raising three children who have full permission to be fully who they are. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, at least from me, you know, mm -hmm. they, they have to deal with their own societal stuff, but from me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about your greatest failure, but something that you thought you, that may have been horrible at the time, but maybe was actually a blessing in disguise that you've learned from? Um, so in 2006, I bought my first business. It was a company that I'd worked for and, um, the woman who owned the company either wanted to move the company to Las Vegas or sell it. And the general manager of the company and I decided to buy the business together. And I was so arrogant. Um, the woman that owned the company was not a people person. In fact, she, I, I wound up being the public face of the company long before she sold it because she was offend. She would offend people so easily. We would lose like droves of customers when she would send out a newsletter because it would be she would invariably just not not having any conscious awareness wind up offending a bunch of people and and um, she was she was not warm or or super nice and so I in my arrogance I thought I was going to run this company so much better than she did and mm -hmm. and I was going to make all these you know changes and the thing is she was a brilliant businesswoman but I thought I knew better and I I hated the numbers side of things and so you know the the general manager that bought the, that you know worked the business with me he did all the books and stuff and so I I just assumed he knew all the stuff about about finances and, and numbers and where we where we would be at and so I, I literally just dug my head in the sand and I said you do the you do the number stuff I'll do the customer stuff and all the creative stuff and it'll be great and and I I, I literally refused to look at the numbers of my business and um, that was in 2006 and then in 2008 recession the economy tanked mm -hmm. and I have no doubt at all that if the woman who I bought the business for was running the company the company would have survived mm -hmm. But, and she, and she actually offered to help, um, oh. and I refused because I, I was so arrogant in my, like, I don't need her help. I'm, you know, blah, blah. I was so, I was so very arrogant and thought I knew so much. And so, um, and money and looking at that terrified me so much that I was willing to dig my head in the sand and not talk to her, <laughs> uh, rather than face into what was going on before it was too late. Hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff that happened around that. Um, she did, we had a, a situation in which we made a down payment to her and then we were making payments. And so she did like, she did like a hostile takeover. She took the company back and it was this ugly mess of things. And for a few months, I was definitely in blame. It's all about her. It's all her fault if she hadn't done this or that. And then, um, I had a, a really good friend who I'm so grateful for. And I was talking to her about, you know, trying to pay off all the debt and everything that, had, that we'd racked up. And, um, and she said, you know, 
if you really want to really want to move past this, then you need to juice this experience for everything you can juice it for. Squeeze every bit of learning you can out of this, or it's going to come back up again for you to learn from. And so as I began to juice the learning from this, I realized, um, wow, it wasn't all about her. Um, you know, I was able to come to owning my part in it and my business partner had his part in it too. Um, and at first it was this overwhelming, crushing experience of shame and I'm such an idiot and how could I have done that? And then I, I'm like, okay, this is a pendulum swing. There's a balance here because there's a deeper truth than I'm an idiot. And the truth was, it was a lesson I needed to learn. It was some humility I needed to have. It was an example of my money story and how deeply that ran. Um, and I got a do-over. Um, you know, I, I sold a, I, I had another product-based business. I wound up selling it before we left Utah. I got to sell it on my own terms. I made a profit <laughs> with it. I ran it in a, I knew my numbers. Like I got this really beautiful experience for a do-over with it. Um, but I think my money story would still be pretty messed up um, <laughs> if I hadn't had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that you were open to learning those lessons. That's a big part of it too. Yeah. Um, so was there a defining, defining, de- defining <laughs> moment in your life when you felt you became an adult or was it more of a gradual transition from girl to woman? Um, I, uh, it's interesting looking back now, uh, when I look at it, I'm like, um, I, I wasn't so much of an adult as I thought I was, but probably <laughs> getting married, mm-hmm. you know? getting married, moving out, starting my own life was a pretty, I felt like that was a pretty big step into adulthood. High school graduation felt was kind of like, it was almost like a set of steps. Like, you know, high school graduation was the little step and then getting married was the big step into it. Um, but yeah, for me, I think it was probably getting married. Okay. So in what ways um, do you believe you have made the most impact on the world and other people? Um, this is probably going to sound incredibly cliche and trite, <laughs> but, um, raising, you know, raising three children was part of it. I, yeah. you know, my son being an activist, my daughter sings and her, her music touches people in different ways. Um, I watched them and the ripples that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm not, <clears throat> I don't want to give you the impression that I think it's all because of me because they were also born with this soul's blueprint, you know, that Mm -hmm. they had. Um, but I did a lot of my own work so that I could raise them in a way that they could also go out and do, do their work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just the miracle that it is to witness somebody discover the beauty of who they are Mm -hmm. discover that the things that they thought were horrible about themselves are actually gifts and potencies and then to watch that ripple out Mm -hmm. to hear them talk about their clients that they're working with or the different relationship that they have with 
you know, things have changed in their company or the way that their children are behaving differently now because dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) from my perspective. Great. Um, What's something that you've always wanted to talk about, but no one has ever asked? And that was actually the hardest question that I had. I don't know. Okay. Um, Yeah. Since you are pretty open, maybe you've just talked about everything. I I love talking about my high school days. No one seems to really care. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wanting to go down memory lane, but um, yeah, no, I'm I'm such an open book that I I was like, I don't know, I I don't know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, what is it about high school that you like talking about? Oh, I don't know. It's just fun and the music and and how much it high school was. Some people, um, you know, I've talked to different people and either junior high or high school defined or shaped them in different ways. High school definitely shaped me um, in some really powerful ways that junior high was wretched and horrible and I didn't know if I was going to survive it and high school was kind of where I started to open up and be like oh there's a there's a there's a me here that's that I didn't know was here before and I did some (laughs) things that um just did some things that really stretched me that I had never thought or expected that I would do before. It's when, it's when I started dating. It's so there was just a lot that was, it just all felt so epic at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what is one piece of advice that you would share with younger women that you wish you had known when you were younger? I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Trust what you know. You know so much more than you give yourself credit for. You have a deep and abiding wisdom in you that has nothing to do with your chronological age. Trust what you know and understand that you're incredible, that what seems ordinary to you is more extraordinary than you could realize. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Great. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like, well, <laughs> that's, that's just, that's just great. For a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so those are all, all the questions I have. Is there anything else you want to add? <laughs> Not that I can think of. Scarlett was the first wise woman that I interviewed for this project about one year ago. Since we first talked, she had actually changed her name to Scarlett. And with the way that she is, I just knew that there was a really rich story behind that huge decision. So I reached out and talked to her once more, asking a few follow-up questions and diving even deeper into more of her recent life events. What happened there? Why did you change your name? I have hated my name since I was a little girl. Like, I mean, just really hated it. But, you know, I was like, well, it's your name. You're stuck with it. And... um, (laughs) 
And then a bunch of my friends started who are, you know, around my age started changing their names. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'm not stuck with it. And then another group I'm part of, they were also talking about uh, the power of the word and the power of, of giving something a name. Right. There are lots of indigenous cultures which will give a child, either give a child a placeholder name. Mm. And then as the child begins to show the elders who they are, then they give them their official name. Oh, or right. there are people in the tribe who are the diviners, um, who are the spiritual leaders who will uh, do their own version of journeying or getting a download and naming the child based on that. But they they give it a lot of, uh, you know, they take it very seriously and give it a lot of consequence as far as naming a right. child. So. Um, a little over a year ago, I finally looked up the meaning of my name for the first time, and I was just like, oh, to hell with that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask um, what you found, if you're okay uh, with talking it, about it? It means, so Paula means small and humble. <laughs> and, and for me, I had been living, the literally living the power of that word right. for years yeah. in, in the most unhelpful of ways. Hmm. So... I knew that I wanted to change my name, had no idea what I wanted to change it to, but I knew it was coming. And then I was, I was in July, I was talking to my web designer and we were just, you know, talking about different aspects of the website. And in the course of our conversation, Scarlet came through and I was just like, I could not stop smiling. I still can't, <laughs> I could not stop smiling and giggling. Yeah. And everything in my bones was just like, yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, and then... I, uh, I, my mother would had never given any of her girls middle names because she wanted to make them use the name she gave them. Mm. So I wanted to give myself a middle name, and I wanted something that connected to my Celtic ancestry. Mm. So I, I investigated some names, and through some deliberation, through a shamanic journey, and some other processes, I decided on Maeve and the Celtic spelling of it, which is M E or sorry M A E B H, right. but pronounced Maeve. Okay. Oh, Maeve, um, like with a V sound. Uh huh. With a V. Oh, so the, okay. in Gaelic, the the B and H is pronounced as a V. Oh, okay, I was unaware yeah. of that. Okay, yeah. and and yeah, what does yeah what does that mean? Um, and Maeve means um, she who intoxicates, and it's also uh, it, it it was also the name of a woman in Irish history who was known for being the absolute embodiment of complete sovereignty. Oh, wow. That's very powerful. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, not just Scarlet and Maeve together. It's kind of a, like, I have a friend who was like, if you decide on that name, you better butter, buckle up Buttercup because that is like one glorious punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I carefully deliberated and it's what it's over and over again it's just what showed up so yeah. and I love it I'm super happy with it it yeah. feels so good yeah and and yeah where did Scarlet come from that it just popped up it or just popped in um it yeah just it's it's kind of a long story but it just in the conversation I was having with this person who was redoing my website it just in the, in the course of our conversation I was telling her about the name you know wanting to change my name and yeah. yada yada and we just started talking and then Scarlet popped in and like it just everything in my bones said yes oh my god yes <laughs> yeah oh wow so um have you changed your website and your business and everything to match your new name now 
Not yet. I'm still in the process of legally changing it. Right. And before I can change, not really before I can change, but anything that has to do with banking and taking money and all of that, I need to legally change right, that. And right. it's just, it's going to be easier just to, to do it all at once. So I'm in the process of, of getting the website designed. I had some glorious new headshots taken because the other thing is that I stopped wearing makeup. Um, and I love that freedom around that. And there's a whole thing around that as well. But, um, so I needed new headshots to reflect who I am and plus Mm -hmm. just to reflect the energy of Scarlett. So all of that just happened. And so yeah, the website will be coming, but, um, yeah, I'm just allowing for what it wants to be and, and the pace that it wants to take. And right, right. But it feels really good. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And can you talk more about um, your decision to not wear makeup anymore? I, but yeah, how did that come about? Um, so <laughs> it all started with my teeth, actually, weirdly enough. Um, I have really crooked teeth, and I never had the opportunity to get braces as a kid and just Mm kind of went with it and then somewhere in my 20s the first time I ever realized I had really crooked teeth like that were different from everybody else's is when some little kid trick-or-treating was like oh you've got Dracula teeth how did you do that and he was so excited and I was like I don't know (laughs) and so from then on I became very self-conscious about my teeth and mm. um I would very rarely give a toothy smile most of the time it was a you know closed mouth smile yeah. when, and uh I never when I smiled that way normally I if I smiled with my teeth I was so self-conscious that the smile never reached my eyes I was had to like get this over with hmm. and if I smiled without my teeth I didn't look natural and right. so anyway I I was asked to present at the meeting of some entrepreneurs and I was really excited about what I was going to teach and I had this moment of what if all, what if they can't hear me because they're just staring at my teeth oh. and I was like okay time to unpack some you know some stuff around this yeah. and so it began this journey for me and what I realized is that you know there I do actually have some dental issues because my mouth is very overcrowded which is why my teeth are so crooked and there may be some things that that I have to get braces for Mm. but if I get braces I want it to be for dental health and I realized like I don't want people congratulating me for fixing the problem saying that the problem is a beauty problem, not Mm -hmm. a health problem. Mm -hmm. And it just got me thinking of especially Western culture and how we've defined beauty and the aspects of that. And, you know, straight. So someone decided that straight white teeth are a symbol of beauty where, Mm -hmm. you know, in other cultures, if you were to spend $3,000 straightening your teeth, they would think you were insane. (laughs) For them, the only thing that has to do with teeth and beauty is if you're wearing them as a necklace. So, um, so, I decided that I was going to try to make myself more accustomed to smiling with these teeth and really loving and accepting that part of myself. So I decided for the entire month of August, I was going to take a selfie a day posted on Facebook with a toothy smile. Yeah, yeah. And be the real me. And what got blown open in being the real me was within two days realizing that for me, and I, I want to be really clear, this isn't this isn't at all the case for every person. My daughter loves makeup. For her, it's art and it's fun and it's play. Mm-hmm. But what I realized right. for me is that makeup was a mask. Hmm. And it was one of the ways that I that I 
presented myself to the world to be okay. I've also always had, ever since I was a little kid, I've had dark circles. My eyes are kind of more inset. Me too. Um, and, <laughs> and so I, you know, trying to fix that to look okay. Yeah. Um, and so I realized that for me, you know, teeth being straight or not being straight wasn't really the issue. It was what was going on inside that right. I could spend $3,000 on dentistry. I could mm-hmm. get medical procedures done to, you know, alleviate my dark circles and have plastic surgery to do something to my eyes. But all of the less than and the self doubt would still be hanging out in here. Right, right. And none of that, it would just be a band aid and it would express itself some other way. And mm. so, what I really had the desire for is to see myself as enough. Yeah. And so I began this journey of, of just, I called it the real you challenge and just taking, taking and pictures and photos and talking about what's real. And, um, during, during part of that time, I, I took a picture of my belly with its poochiness and all of the stretch marks from having three babies and mm. talked about how sacred my belly is and what's again what society says is and isn't acceptable and I talked about like a wide range of topics and some days it was just light and joyful and other days it was like this sucks and you know I had some realizations I hadn't I realized that I never really looked my own self in the eyes in a mirror when I was putting on makeup it was easy to look at my cheekbones Hmm. or look at my eyebrows or work but I never I was so uncomfortable with my own image without makeup that I couldn't look my own self in the eyes in a mirror. So just like lots of really deep stuff came Mm -hmm. out of it. And in this process, I invited, I decided to create a private Facebook page and just invited whoever wanted to, to talk about what's real for them to talk about it there. And like, I would sit and read these posts and just cry. Um, there were, there was a woman in the group who, whose husband never saw her without makeup ever. Wow. And she would put makeup on to go outside and mow the lawn because she had so much shame. And so, mm. and she posted the first picture of herself she's ever posted without makeup wow. in her whole life. Oh my gosh. And she's beautiful. <laughs> She's stunning and just, you know, to see her make that step. And there were women who were talking about weight, both women who've been judged as overweight and women who've been judged judged as too thin and both um, sides. Yeah, like just all the body stuff and hair getting gray or the shape of your face or what's what's real for you as you stand in front of your family or as you're trying to interact at work with your boss and it's just become this really beautiful space of women um sharing what's real for them so Mm. it anyway it spun off into this whole thing that i didn't i i just thought it was going to be about my teeth (laughs) (laughs) all the places it was going to go yeah Um, that's great yeah so and and it really helped me become coherent and laser focused on my work and what I'm passionate about and what I do. So anyway, it's been really, it's been a really amazing past few months. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely was seeing some of those updates on Facebook and thinking like, wow, there's a lot of stuff happening with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah. What, what do you do to recharge or 
kind of refuel after a stressful day or even even a stressful week or just how do you kind of reclaim your energy again um the the best way for me is being out in nature Mm, right um nature is a space that can give and give and give and um you know that I can kind of dissolve into in a really healthy way um it's just incredibly nourishing and nurturing for me reading um love I love a good novel but I also love you know other books that aren't novels as well I'm I'm just about finished with a really beautiful one called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Walkimer she's a PhD ethnobotanist but she's also a member of the Potawatomi tribe and it's just this incredibly beautiful her writing is just stunning so anyway um I'd love to read spending time with with my husband um and sometimes you know just watching tv because (laughs) every once in a while you need to shut everything off but you just (laughs) do it yeah excellent um oh I wanted to ask you have you ever done a soul retrieval yourself you mean for myself yeah yeah Uh, for yourself yes okay can you talk about that at all or or is that a little too um so when when they've happened for myself it's not so much me doing it for myself as it is my allies coming in and stepping in so um do you feel like you have the the space to hear something that might not be that might be a little bit deep and difficult yes Um, so when I was, when I was 21, I was sexually assaulted by a doctor. Um, I had, I have a, I have a thing that happens where I, about 60, 70% of the time when I start throwing up my, my gag reflex won't settle down and I just keep going and going Mm -hmm. and going. And, and one of those times I wound up in the hospital and they had to have me on IV fluids for two days and and I torn a hole in the lining of my stomach. And so I was kind of a mess. And this was about six weeks after I had my first child. And while I was, while I was in the hospital, I passed vaginally this kind of big clot of tissue. Hmm. And so I just let the nurse know it's my first baby. I'd had no idea if that was normal or not. And so she's like, okay, well, it's probably normal, but I'll just let the doctor know just in case. Well, the doctor that admitted me to the hospital was not the, I had been admitted on a Friday. And so the doctor who was on call was in his practice, but not the doctor who had seen me. And the doctor basically told me that, you know, got me all scared and upset. My husband wasn't in the room at the time. He told me that it, it could have been a miscarriage, that it could, it could be cancer. Um, that something that, you know, whatever this was, something was not right and it needed to be checked out. And he wanted me to come to his office first thing Monday morning. And I said, well, I'm in the hospital. Why can't you do this now? He's like, it just, it just needs to be in my office. And, Hmm. you know, I was young, had no clue. And so I was like, okay. And in the process of that exam, um, I was sexually assaulted. And I won't go into all the graphic details, but mm-hmm. um, more than likely I was raped. But at, one, at some point, I just completely blacked it out. And I, there's a span of time that I don't remember. Right. And so um, I've been doing a lot of deep work around, especially with the Me Too movement and yeah. all the stuff that's been yeah. up in the, 
and the women who are coming forward um, talking about why they didn't report because mm. this was a situation in which I didn't report him because of all of because he was a doctor and it was my word against his yeah. and all of the stuff that was around it. So I began I began doing this really deep work around it, and I did a shamanic journey in which I asked for healing around it, mm. and I had this uh, giant hawk that flew me to the top of a mountain and told me, asked me there if I was willing to go with him into this journey of healing. And I said, yes. And so he transported me back in time to this doctor's office and um, Mother Mary was sitting in the doctor's office. And it's been about three years since I started working with her. And um, she was sitting down in a chair and she motioned me, to, and the doctor was standing in the room. It was the exam room that I was in. She motioned to me to come to her and asked and had me lay my head on her lap. And she just began keening and wailing. And this, both the song of just sorrow and power and, and her wailing grew louder and louder and louder. And I wailed along with her. And we just had this powerful vibration of rage and sorrow and she kept saying or I kept saying um never never before never never before never now not never again never before never now never again and as her wailing grew louder and louder the room started to shake and the walls and everything including the doctor just were obliterated into dust and um just her and I were left and she asked me to take back in that part of myself that was lost, you know, before that time. Mm-hmm. And then she took me into the void and, in you know, shamanic terms, the void is the place of all possibility. It's the place where everything began and everything starts from. Mm-hmm. And so she asked me what I wanted instead. And, um, and, I began to speak what I wanted and the words would come out of my mouth and land. So the void is dark. It's completely black. And the words would come out of my mouth and land in the void and begin to grow. It was like a light that would land and the light would begin to grow. And, and then she talked to me about working with this energy and doing more with it. And, and, um, and then, you know, the journey ended. So that was my, that was one of the soul retrievals, one of the more recent ones that that's happened just in the journey space as I've journeyed on my own behalf. But I do the work for other people, both in journeying for either I will journey and go find a soul part for them, or Mm -hmm. they um, will, or I guide them to do their own soul retrieval and go in and, and find their own part of themselves that needs to come back. Right. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm sorry. Who is who? Who were you interacting with? Um, Mother Mary. So it's it's interesting because I I'm not. I was part of a religion for a really long time that really didn't. Mother Mary was very, not very focused on. She's the mother of Jesus. Oh, and, right, right, okay. And 
I didn't ever have a relationship or feel a closeness to her. I knew a lot of people who did, mm-hmm. but I just, in the, in the religion I was part of, like people knew who she was, but she wasn't talked about a whole lot or focused on like in, in mm. Catholicism, you know, there's a lot of focus with mother Mary and, and there hadn't been in the religion that I was part of. So I didn't really know anything about who she was, but um, about three years ago, she came to me in a dream. I was, I was, she was sitting in a, or I was sitting in a blue plastic chair and there were uh, nine women, eight of them were in lighter blue robes behind me. And then this other woman in the darker blue robe was kneeling by me, um, drawing this symbol on my palm, my left palm over and over again, saying, receive this healing through mother Mary, receive this healing through mother Mary. Hmm. And it was also at a time when I'd been triggered around some stuff with, with, uh, you know, sexual assault in my past. And, um, and I was like, wow, okay, I guess I'm supposed to kind of get to know Mother Mary and figure out something about Mother Mary because I have no idea really much about her. And I was like, okay, well, you know, in a couple weeks, I'll get to that. I'll start looking into it or whatever. And two days later, I was walking in a wetland in the middle of summer and I was swarmed by bees and they were landing all over my clothes and on my body, but mostly they kept landing on my left hand and trying to walk on my left palm. And of course it was hard for me to hold still and let them do their thing, but I could feel that they were following the same pattern that she had traced on my palm. Whoa, wow. And I found out a couple of days later that Mother Mary is associated with honeybees. And so I was like, okay, I'll start working on a relationship with you now. (laughs) I won't put it off. So I've had some pretty, um, you know, remarkable experiences considering that I don't have a religious background with her, but Mm. her energy is all about healing and uh, recapturing. I've experienced, anyway, let me say this. I have experienced her energy about being around healing, Mm. um, especially healing trauma. And um, recapturing and embodying and and making, how do I say this so it'll make sense? Mm, Okay. Um, Feeling safe being feminine. Feeling Mm. safe being female. Yeah. 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 Feeling safe having the softer side of what it is to be female. Mm -hmm. Because we hold all sides of it um you know from my perspective it's part of the beauty of mother earth mother earth shows us the the fullest and richest embodiment of what it means to be female because we can have the energy and the fierceness and the vitality of you know lava erupting from a volcano but we also have this deep capacity as women to have the softness of a rose petal Mm. and we have the capacity to have the strength and the boundaries of a mountain, but also the flow of a river. Yeah. And so as, as women in the world that we've walked in, that softness is risky business. Hmm. It can be something that is used against us and something hmm. that um, can be very vulnerable to show. And so in my work with Mother Mary, what I've experienced with her is a strengthening of feeling safe and being able to show that aspect of, of, all, the, of all the aspects 
that we have as women. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess as just a last question, um, what, what, when do you find yourself feeling the most powerful? Hmm. Being out in nature. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing work with clients and I watch those, I work with men, but I seem to mostly draw women, Mm -hmm. um, watching those women come back into empowerment themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know why, but I also just in power in the empowerment of others, I feel more empowerment in myself. And it's, it is the way that I work. I, my, my whole, everything that they do, all the roads lead to the space of holding people in their truth and helping them find that truth and coming back to what I call the sacred real you. Mm. Um, and like what I'm passionate about and the way that I teach the way that I work with clients, it's, it's really helping connect people to their truth. Mm. And so being, you know, that's something that nature holds. And so I think it's a reflection. Um, and you know, that's an interesting question that's something I want to think about some more but those are the first two (laughs) things that pop up (laughs) okay great wow oh my gosh I I don't I don't have any more questions but I feel like we could talk all day though (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah wow thank you so much for sharing all of that I I knew talking with you again would be very juicy but I I had no idea (laughs) Are, are you okay with me using everything you said on my podcast? Okay. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. I just, I, I admire you. I respect you so much. I feel like you're just such a, such a beacon of, of light in, in oh. our world. So thank you for doing everything you do. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I'm honored and I appreciate that uh, witnessing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Where can people find you now? Probably really the best way for people to find me is either just finding me on Facebook, Scarlet Maeve, and it's M-A-E-B-H, mm-hmm. Scarlet Maeve Mosier, M-O-S-I-E-R, is how you can find me. You can also email me, Scarlet Maeve, and it's again M-A-E-V-H at gmail.com for the moment. My web, my website will be scarletmave.com. Great. Wow. I... I feel like I feel like I, I want to work with you now, <laughs> just because every every time we talk, I feel like more things come up, and I I have so much so much kind of I I don't want to say confusion, but just like interest and just such curiosity in the work that you do, and I feel like it's so different from anything I've done before. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I'd be happy to have a, a different kind of conversation and see where you're at and, and what you need and how I could be best of service. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'll definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, thank this, you. This have has a been wonderful. Day. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. been struggling to figure out what I want to say in this post-interview reflection with Scarlett. I guess 
I am just really grateful to have talked to her and I just I love that she talked about how fluffy small talk drives her crazy because it especially recently um, within the past few years it's really started to drive me nuts too to the point where I actually have kind of been avoiding it um, not really interested in going to parties with large groups of people and just talking really superficially with just um, lots of different people. I've always preferred to find one person and talk to them and really get to know them on a deeper level. It kind of, it doesn't necessarily feel pointless or useless to talk about um, more superficial things and that's usually where where a conversation has to start you know people don't immediately go into the heavy stuff that's usually not appropriate <laughs> um, but yeah that's still something that I'm kind of learning how to do um, just be okay with the lighter stuff since it does you know, everything has its place, um, time and place. And I, I'm just really grateful though for Scarlett and all of the women that I've talked with for this project, for this podcast, who have been so brave to share their stories and, um, to just talk about their lives and yeah, I just, I love all of her stories, all of Scarlett's stories about her animal experiences, and I wonder if if those kinds of things would happen with people a lot, but we just don't recognize or want to believe that they mean something, um, especially with how with the story of how bees were swarming around her, I feel like most people would just run away and, you know, not want to get stung by the bees. That's, that's what I thought originally. Um, so I just, I think she is just such, such a unique person. And I'm really, I just feel grateful that I'm able to, um, that I was able to listen to her story and get to know her more and be able to share her story with all of the listeners, whoever is listening. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening to the Why Is Not Withered podcast. If you found this episode particularly interesting or inspiring, please share, rate, and subscribe. Check out whyisnotwithered.com for interview transcriptions and more. Join the Wise Not Withered movement by sharing your own story or by interviewing a wise woman in your life and sharing through your favorite social media platform. Use the hashtag Wise Not Withered. Thanks again.